Welcome back to Plane Crash Diaries, the podcast that tells the stories of aviation accidents and the direct correlation between these and improved safety. I'm your pilot and host, Desmond Latham. And fortunately, this week, we have an example of where safety was improved over decades, but the growing tension in the world appears to have reversed some of the gains made. This is largely because of trigger-happy military personnel. Most passengers are blissfully unaware of just how close many commercial airliners have come to being shot down in the recent past, let alone during world wars. This week we deal with the relatively recent shooting down of Ukraine Airlines' SR-752 by the Iranian military. First, a few examples of commercial airliners being shot out of the sky. As I mentioned briefly in an earlier podcast, the first known example was on 24th August 1938, during the Second Sino-Japanese War, when a DC-2, known as the Kralin, operated by China National Aviation Corporation, was forced down by Japanese aircraft inside Chinese territory just north of Hong Kong. The DC-2 was carrying 18 passengers and crew. Apparently, all survived the emergency water landing, but not the follow-up strafing run by the Japanese pilots. Fifteen died. The next reported commercial airliner shutdown was the Kaleva Oscar Hotel Alpha Lima Lima incident on the 14th of June 1940. A civilian transport and passenger Junkers 52 operated by the Finnish carrier Aero OY. This time it was shot down by two Soviet Aleutian DB3 bombers while en route from Tallinn in Estonia to Helsinki in Finland. The Soviet DB3s opened fire with their machine guns and badly damaged the Kaleva causing it to ditch in water a few kilometers northeast of a lighthouse. All seven passengers and two crew members on board died. After the war on the 23rd of July 1954, Victor Romeo Hotel Echo Uniform, a Douglas DC-4 airliner operated by Cathay Pacific Airways and flying from Bangkok to Hong Kong, was shot down by the Chinese People's Liberation Army Air Force off the coast of Hainan Island. All ten on board died. Then, in 1962, Aeroflot 902 was on a scheduled domestic service from Khabarovsk in southeastern Russia to Moscow, carrying 62 adults, 14 children and 8 crew. There were short stops at Irkutsk and Omsk. The flight departed Irkutsk on schedule and then made a report to air traffic control. But a few minutes later, an incoherent emergency transmission was made by what sounded like the first officer and in the background there was an unusual noise. The plane, the Tupolev 104A, disappeared. On the 30th of June, its wreckage was found 28 kilometers east of Krasnoyarsk airport in flat terrain. At first, there was some mystery about what happened. There were no survivors. Investigators then found an entry hole with signs of fire damage on the cabin side of the fuselage. The plane appeared to have been hit by an anti-aircraft missile, and there was an unofficial confirmation that indeed an anti-aircraft missile had gone astray during an air defense exercise being conducted close by. I'm going to jump forward to 1973 for the next incident when a Libyan airline's flight from Tripoli to Benghazi and then onwards to Cairo in Egypt entered Israeli airspace over the Sinai Peninsula. It was intercepted by two Israeli F-4 Phantom fighters. When the Libyans refused to land, the Israelis shot it down. Of the 113 people on board, only five survived, including the co-pilot. Then in Africa in 1978, an Air Rhodesia Flight 825 Victor's Valkant 
was shot down on the 3rd of September as it flew between Lake Kariba and the then capital Salisbury, known today as Harare. The Zimbabwean People's Revolutionary Army, or ZIPRA, used a Strela II missile and claimed responsibility. 18 of the 56 passengers actually survived the crash, but 10 were then massacred near the crash site by ZIPRA soldiers. A year later, in 1979, another Air Rhodesia Flight 827 flying the same route between Kariba and Salisbury was shot down on the 12th of February by ZIPRA guerrillas, again also using a Strela II missile in pretty similar circumstances to Flight RH-825. None of the 59 passengers or crew on board survived the second attack. This was shortly before negotiations that ended the bush war, and many questions were asked about how Air Rhodesia could have continued flying the route after it was clear Zipra was targeting commercial airliners. Two other downing of airliners in particular bring this sort of incident into sharp relief and were caused by trigger-happy military personnel, as you'll hear. One was by the Russians, the other by the Americans. First was the 1983 downing of Korean Airlines Flight 007 by a Soviet Su-15T interceptor in an incident that shocked global aviation. This was partly caused by pilot error. The South Korean pilots punched the wrong numbers into the air navigation system and ended up flying over Russian airspace. The commercial airliner was followed by a Russian pilot who clearly saw the identity of the airline but decided to follow orders anyway and shoot down the aeroplane. The fully loaded Boeing 747 crashed near Monoron Island west of the Russian Sakhalin Islands. All 269 passengers and crew died including U.S. Congressman Larry MacDonald. The second, in 1988, involved an Iranian Air Flight 655 that regularly flew from Bandar Abbas in Iran to Dubai in the UAE, which was shot down by a U.S. Navy-guided missile cruiser, the USS Vincennes. All 290 passengers and crew died when the RIM-66 standard surface-to-air missile was fired at the aircraft. The United States admitted the USS Vincennes was inside Iranian national waters when it opened fire. During the investigation, it emerged that the Airbus A300 was climbing and its flight path was confused with a descending Iranian F-14 fighter jet. In episode 3 of this series, I explained how Malaysian Airlines Flight MH17 was brought down by a Soviet-made book surface-to-air missile, all 283 passengers and 15 crew on board the Boeing 777-200ER died when the missile hit the plane near Donetsk in the eastern Ukraine. It was fired by separatist rebels who'd been using an older model Buk missile, which was promptly wheeled back into Russia after the case of mistaken identity. And that brings us directly to the 8th of January 2020 Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 it was a Boeing 737-800 shot down by Iran's armed forces shortly after takeoff from Tehran's Imam Khomeini International Airport, killing all 176 people on board. Initially, Iran denied responsibility, saying an engine had blown up. Eventually, on the 11th of January, three days after the incident, Iran admitted it unintentionally shot down the commercial airliner, mistaking it for a hostile target. For a start, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard was extremely jittery because they had fired missiles at American bases in Iraq only a few hours before. That was in response to General Qasem Soleimani being killed by an American drone in Iraq a little earlier. 
Flight 752 was operated by Ukraine International Airlines, which, by the way, has had no accidents since its inception in 1992 and was using flight crew rated to fly into Tehran. That route takes specialized training. The crew included Captain Vladimir Kaponenko, who had 11,600 hours on Boeing 737 and 5,500 hours as a captain. There was instructor pilot Olitsky Nomkin, who had 12,000 hours on Boeing 737s, including 6,600 as captain, and first officer Suri Komenko with 7,600 hours on Boeing 737s. This was an extremely experienced crew. The Boeing was on a scheduled flight from Iranian capital Imam Khomeini International Airport to Borispil International Airport in the Ukrainian capital, Kiev. Of the 176 on board, 15 were children. There were also more than 63 dual nationality Canadians. Flight 752 was scheduled to depart at 15 minutes past five local time, but was delayed. This may have led the Revolutionary Guards to identify the plane incorrectly an hour later. Eventually, Flight 752 departed at 6.12 local. It was still dark, being midwinter. At 6.14 a.m., the airplane turned from the takeoff heading of 289 degrees to the north, heading 313 degrees, which followed regular routes. The Ukraine airliner was at 7,925 feet above mean sea level, traveling at 275 knots, or just over 500 kilometers per hour, and it was climbing at just under 3,000 feet per minute, when the flight data record abruptly ended over the northern end of the local boulevard known as Enkleb Islami. That was three minutes after takeoff. Now we know from video analysis compiled by a host of media, including the New York Times, that the plane had been hit by the first of two short-range missiles, which initially knocked out its transponder and left applications like Flight Radar 24 without data. A second missile fired by the Islamic Revolutionary Guards struck 23 seconds after the first. It's thought that the pilots were killed instantly by the shrapnel from either missile, which is designed to go off slightly ahead of the plane and to explode near the cockpit. The plane continued flying because most airliners have a standard operating procedure, which includes using an autopilot shortly after takeoff. But the damage was so severe, as ground-based video showed, that the plane could not fly onwards. Less than a minute later, the plane ploughed into a park and fields on the edge of the village of Kalajabad, 15 kilometers northwest of the airport. No one on the ground was injured or killed. However, there were no survivors and the aircraft was destroyed on impact. Apart from the Canadians, there were 82 Iranians, 11 Ukrainians, including nine of the crew, 10 Swedes, four Afghans and three British citizens on board. At first, on the 8th of January, Iran's Road and Transportation Ministry released a statement that the aircraft burst into flames after a fire started in one of its engines, causing the pilot to lose control and crash into the ground. In good faith, Ukraine initially accepted that some kind of mechanical failure had taken place. The Ukrainian government, though, later retracted its statement suggesting other possible causes were also valid. However, social media video clearly showed the plane being hit by a missile, although it would take Bellingcat and the New York Times another day to verify this information. On the 9th of January, US intelligence and defense officials said they believed the aircraft had been shot down by at least one Iranian TOR missile. They used the NATO reporting name SA-15 Gauntlet.
This analysis was based on evidence from reconnaissance satellite imagery and radar data. Then British defence officials agreed with the American assessment of a shootdown. Tehran, though, continued its public bluster and denial. Prime Minister of Canada Justin Trudeau went further on the same day, saying evidence from multiple sources, including Canadian intelligence, suggested the aircraft was shot down by an Iranian missile. Still, Tehranian officials stuck to their original claims, saying allegations of missile strikes were an American lie, a wrongful scenario by CIA and the Pentagon, and an attempt to prevent Boeing stock from a freefall. All very clever propaganda, except it was bogus. Eventually, and because it would be too stupid to continue denying it shut down an airliner full of its own people, on the 11th of January, the armed forces of the Islamic Republic of Iran admitted it was indeed a missile strike, having erroneously identified the plane as a hostile target. According to an early military statement, when the airplane seemed to head toward a sensitive military center of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, controllers mistook it for a hostile target and shot it down. Iran's civil aviation organization disputed that claim that the plane altered course, saying its own armed forces were wrong. The Iranian CAO's viewpoint was also supported by a Radio Canada International article that used public ADSB flight tracking data, not to mention the well-worn flight plan that everyone used out of this airspace. Finally, Iranian Brigadier General Amir Ali Hajizadeh of the Iranian Aerospace Defense said a missile operator in Bigdani base had acted independently, mistaking the airplane for a U.S. cruise missile and shooting it down. You see, this disaster occurred amid a heightened political crisis in the Persian Gulf, hours after the Iranian military had launched 15 missiles towards U.S. military airbases in Iraq in response to the Baghdad International Airport strike, which killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. Brigadier General Hajizadeh also admitted that the airplane was actually on its flight plan track and had made no mistake. It is true that Flight 752 was flying near several sensitive Iranian ballistic missile facilities, including the Shahed Madaris missile base at Bekdani near Malart, which the Iranians could have believed would be targets of retaliation for their attack a few hours earlier, but commercial airliners were using exactly the same route for some time. It was all one big mistake. Interestingly, this crash is one of the few where social media has revealed exactly what took place and was shared extensively inside Iran itself. For example, on the 9th of January, the Instagram account of Rich Kids of Tehran published a video captioned the actual footage from the moment the Ukraine flight was shot down by a Russian-made Tor M1 missile just moments after takeoff from Tehran's airport. The video, by the way, was published at exactly the same time as the Iranian authorities were claiming technical problems caused the crash. When internal pressure grew by the 11th of January, Iran admitted it had shot down the Ukrainian jet by accident, as we've heard with General Amir Ali Hajizadeh telling Iranian state television that when he learned about the downing of the aeroplane, he wished he was dead. Hajizadeh said that with his forces on high alert, an officer mistook it for a hostile missile and made a bad decision. On the 11th of January, hundreds of protesters took to the streets in Tehran to vent anger at officials, calling them liars for having denied the shootdown. Protests took place outside at least two universities. Then on the 12th of January, protests erupted across Iran for a second day, 
In Tehran and in several other cities, protesters chanted slogans against leadership and clashed with security forces, as well as Iran's Basiji force, firing tear gas back. On the 14th of January, the Rich Kids of Tehran Instagram account published a second video showing two missiles hit the aircraft. The security camera footage, verified by the New York Times, shows two missiles fired 30 seconds apart. On the 20th of January, the Iranian Civil Aviation Organization also admitted that the country's paramilitary Revolutionary Guard had fired two Russian-made Tor M1 missiles at the Ukrainian aircraft. Then, on the 20th of January, Iran asked for assistance from France and the US to recover the data from the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder. By the 2nd of February, Ukrainian TV channels aired a leaked recording of the information exchange between the Iranian pilot of the Asaman Airlines flight nearby and an air traffic controller. The pilot allegedly stated in Persian that he saw a flash similar to a missile fire in the sky and then an explosion. Following the leak, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky stated the new evidence proved that Iran was well aware from the first moments that the Ukraine passenger airplane had been brought down by a missile. The following day, Iran ceased cooperation with Ukraine into the investigation due to this leaked recording. On the 5th of February, Canada urged Iran to send the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder to France. Iran then denied the request. Then on the 15th of February, Iran and Ukraine resumed cooperation in its investigation into the disaster, determining where the flight recorders would be sent for analysis. In response to this disaster, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, in a notice to Emin or NOTAM, banned all American civil aircraft from flying over Iran, Iraq, the Gulf of Oman, and the Persian Gulf. Although the FAA's NOTAM is not binding on non-U.S. airlines, many others took it into consideration when making their safety decisions, especially after the downing of Malaysian Airlines Flight 17 in 2014, as I outlined. This sort of rapid response to commercial airliners being caught in the sights of the military has actually over time improved safety, yet these events continue. Other airlines that cancelled their normal routes included Lufthansa, Emirates, Fly Dubai and Turkish Airlines. Ukraine International Airlines of course suspended all flights to Tehran indefinitely shortly after the incident. Better safe than sorry. Then I must say what can only be called a massive case of indifference or tone deafness on the 17th of January, Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei, in his first Friday sermon in eight years, defended the Revolutionary Guard's accidental killing of passengers and praised Operation Marta Soleimani for giving a slap on the face to the United States. He appeared to ignore the fact that his own missiles had shot down a plane full of his own people. Iran, by the way, is still searching for the person who posted the first video. Meanwhile, there is a tussle over the black boxes, the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder. On the 19th of February, Tehran officials announced, yes, friends, that the flight data recorder was damaged and not all the data could be read. Iran also demanded that France and the United States transfer the technology to read the black boxes to Tehran in an act that is not only highly unusual, it's downright irregular. According to Article 26 of the Convention on International Civil Aviation, the Chicago Convention, when there's an accident to an aircraft of a contracting state occurring in another contracting state causing death, injury or serious technical defect, the state in which the accident occurs will institute an inquiry into the circumstances. 
Then, according to Annex 13 of that convention, states of registry, operator, design, and manufacture may also be involved. This has not happened. Iran is trying to keep Canada out of the inquiry. According to the convention, a state which has a special interest in an accident by virtue of fatalities or serious injuries to its citizens is entitled to appoint an expert in, to visit the scene of the accident. They are also entitled to have access to relevant factual information, which is approved for public release by the state conducting the investigation. They are also supposed to provide information on the progress of the investigation and all must receive a copy of the investigation final report. As we await the formal inquiry report, I will return to this story over forthcoming podcasts when there are updates. Unfortunately, this is one of those where safety had increased, and now we have another incident. But our next episode covers unusual causes of aviation accidents. So until then, aviate, navigate, and communicate safely. Goodbye. <laughs>